right. Well, how many of you have heard me uh, here before when I've when I visited? Awesome. Cool. How many of you this is your first time hearing me talk? Awesome. How many of you are concerned that I'm gonna make you raise your hands again? <laughs> okay. Perfect. <laughs> None of you. That's good. Awesome. All right. Well, it's true. My name is Blake. <laughs> and I've uh, <laughs> and Blake and Healy. Both of those are true. Both of the two things. <laughs> Uh, and um, I've, I've seen the Spirit for as long as I can remember. Um, in fact, my first memories are seeing an angel. I remember I was, um, I was two years old, and I was sitting in the back seat of my, my parents' car seat, uh, or rather, the car seat that my parents had purchased for me. Uh, I mean, they owned it, so it was theirs, I guess. But um, I, sorry, I just had this like, image of my dad trying to sit in it at the kitchen table or something like that. <laughs> I'm getting my use out of this thing. No, um, but um, I remember I was sitting in the back seat, and we were at the drive through window at the bank. My mom's chatting with the teller, and we're, uh, the, this worship music is playing. And I remember just looking up and seeing a half dozen of these baseball-sized lights just kind of drifting back and forth in time with the music. And so I've, I've seen these things for my, for my whole life. And uh, before we dive into what I want to talk about with you guys today, I wanted to share just briefly about some of the stuff that I saw in worship just a right. few moments ago, if that's okay with you guys. Um, and it was cool because I think both what, what um, was just talked about during, uh, during offering and even what was going on in worship and what I felt like the Lord was leading me to talk about, it kind of all lined up a lot more right in a row than, than even I'm necessarily accustomed to. So I'm really excited to see what God, uh, what God releases for you guys tonight. I, um, so it was interesting. So the first thing, this sounds negative, so just, just keep rolling with me. I... As soon as I walked in, I saw this big, thick sheet of glass in front of the stage, and it was thick. I mean, if it, if it was like like uh, like you know, giant aquarium glass, like it was like this thick, and it was all in front of the the whole stage. I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem very nice. You know, it felt like a con- containing thing. It's getting better, I promise. Don't worry. Um, and I could tell that it was thick and that it was there. And so worship started, and I saw. Um, just the, the, the presence of God started entering the room from behind, from behind you guys here on, on the stage, and it was rushing forward, but it was hitting this, it was hitting this, uh, this glass, uh, and then just kind of bouncing back, and it kept kind of doing that and doing that, and so for the first song, I saw these, um, an angel on each side of the stage, and they had this big, uh, each of them had a big hammer, like a club type thing, and they were just swinging back and forth in time with the music, banging on this glass, and they kept hitting it and hitting it and hitting it and hitting it, and after, not until like towards the end of the song did it even start to crack. It wasn't, it wasn't falling down, it wasn't coming apart yet, but it was just cracking. And, you know, and they were kind of hitting in different places to get it to crack more and more and more. And then, um, I don't remember the name of the song, but as we got through, um, we did kind of a, a little bit of a slower and quieter song. And as soon as that happened, I saw the presence of God enter the room in a different way. Beforehand, when it first came rushing in, it was like this, uh, this, these, um, it was like this bright uh, white lights that were just kind of zipping, zipping in. This time it came in, it was like this very thin blue smoke that came in, almost like uh, incense smoke, you know. And it came in very slowly, and as it did, it just kind of built and built and built up against the glass wall. And then just very slowly, um, almost like it was, you know, almost like it was underwater or something like that, the gr- glass just started to crumble and, and come down. So it continued to slowly fall down more and more, as time went, and then at the end, something cool happened. Um, so all, pretty, you know, 99% of it was down, and all the little pieces of glass, like little, you know, there were these big chunks of glass because it was a big, thick window. We're sitting in the um, margin between the stage and the chairs here. And when we got to that um, You Believe That I'm Good song, I, which I'm still a very big fan of, um, <laughs> the, uh, I saw the Lord walk in, and he started picking up the pieces of glass and breaking them with his hands, and breaking them, and he was breaking them in such a way that they actually looked like jewels. And then I saw him walking around and started setting them in people's hair or on their, on their wrist or things like that, and they're like decorations. And I, heard the, and I heard the Holy Spirit say as I was watching, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I heard the Holy Spirit say, the things that were a barrier between you and me, I want to turn into things that, that uh, show, much, uh, show the care and the beauty that I see in you. 
I want the things that used to be a barrier between you and me to be gifts to you. That, that that's not only is it just a decoration to you, but a, a reminder of the breakthrough that you've had. And just as a quick prophetic word to the worship team here, um, at first I was like, wow, that's really thick glass. That seems like, ugh, that seems difficult. Um, and I heard the Holy Spirit say that they, it, the, the way this works in my mind is kind of interesting. It's almost like I felt like he allowed more of a barrier to be there because the anointing that you guys carry could break through more of it. Wow. And it was almost a representation of breaking in deeper, uh, a deeper opportunity for breakthrough in everyone else in the room. And so that was really cool. It's like, instead of just like one little layer at a time, it was like, oh, let's get this big chunk removed kind of thing. And so that was, that was really cool. Um, and that actually leads perfectly to, to what I want to talk about tonight. So I've, I've been seeing in the spirit my whole life. I've seen angels, demons, and other spiritual things every single day, just about any time I have the mind to look. And I... Uh, I want to share with you guys what the, the most painful thing for me to see is. Sound good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very exciting. Now, uh, some, and now, when people hear a few of my stories or some of my background, they might think, oh, when you see demonic stuff oppressing people, that's going to be the most painful thing. When you see people who are carrying spiritual wounds or bitterness or things like that, that's, that's the most painful thing. And even though those things make me sad, they honestly don't bother me that much mainly because any time I look at those for any length of time, I can feel the plans of heaven conspiring to bring health and wholeness to those things. And so honestly, those things don't bother me that much. The, the, thing, the, the category of things that are the most painful for me is when I see God's goodness so, so generously and profoundly released on his people but that goodness, that kindness, those gifts that he give us remain on the table because we don't know how or we're not aware that we have permission to pick them up. To me, that's the most painful thing because we're, we're sitting on this side of the cross. We're sitting on this side of ultimate victory. We're sitting on this side of being adopted into his kingdom, of, of getting a free invitation into his kingdom, a clear door into his kingdom and the idea that anyone anyone would miss out on the full benefit of that access the full benefit of Jesus' sacrifice it's kind of a bummer right so th this is a broad category for me but i i kind of have one 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 scripture here and one section of my life that i feel like exemplifies this one area where we can start uh, combating the things that lead to us missing what God has for us. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. This is one of my favorite scriptures, very familiar one, but if you would turn here just so that we can kind of have this in front of us. It's uh, Romans 12. Um, how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you more or less grew up in the church in some form? Okay. So I'm, I'm one of those. I'm one of you guys. I, I grew up in the church. My parents got saved just a little bit after I was born. Um, actually met someone in their uh, La, Lamaze class that uh, led them to the Lord, invited them to church, so I like to think that I led them to the Lord in a, <laughs> an indirect sort of way. Um, and so I've been going to church my whole life. I've been going to Sunday school my whole life. And so one of the things that I've noticed for those of us who have grown up in the church, even sometimes folks who haven't grown up in the church, just because we do hear things uh, about this sometimes, is that some of these scriptures, some of the most profound scriptures that we read all the time, they get taught all the time, we can sometimes almost, uh, we can handle them so much that they can almost lose their edge, you know, we can, we can hear a, a, you know, a parable that Jesus tells, or, or a key scripture, or, you know, John 3.16, or whatever it is, we can hear it so many times that it just becomes this thing that we are so familiar with, this, this theme song that we can hum without really thinking about it kind of thing, rather than being the, the true and living word of God, you know? And so I, I remember there was this one stage in my life where, this was in my uh, late teens, where I was kind of going back to all these old scriptures that I had heard hundreds of times and, and looking for these scriptures that I had kind of put into too much of a box, you know, that I had, that had been overly familiar with, that when I would hear it, it just kind of go in one ear and out the other because I'd heard it so many times, I didn't really even need to listen, if that makes sense. 
And this is one of those scriptures, and I'm sure this is one that you guys are familiar with. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Anyone ever heard that one before? We hear it a lot. I remember I was rereading this scripture, and it was right around the time that I was coming to this realization that, man, the, the, the thing that makes me the most sad when I see it is, is not the demonic stuff that I see. It's not when I see spiritual wounds. It's when I see all this good stuff that God has made available to his people that goes unclaimed. And then I saw this scripture that says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then this next sentence, which ties into what I was feeling, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then you will get to experience, you will, you will become aware of, you'll be able to test and approve. You, ha- you have the tools to recognize and say, yes, that is God's pleasing and perfect will. So the a, there is a then, there is a something that is between me being able to recognize this and not being able to recognize this. And so when I heard this scripture taught, and maybe you heard it this way too, my, if I were to turn this scripture into my own words from you know, back when I was younger, I would probably say something more or less like, uh, the world is bad, don't do things like the world, uh, do things the way God does. Something like that maybe? All any theologians in here are about to flip, a, flip out of their chair. <laughs> um, but that's like you know, the sun, me sitting in Sunday school, hearing this scripture, trying to figure it out. That would probably be my, my interpretation for it. And recently, I looked into some of the original uh, language here. And I was, it was actually uh, from an article that uh, Brian Simmons wrote, the Passion Translation of the, or translated the Passion Translation of the Bible, was talking about this specific scripture where the, the metaphor that was used here was more akin to do not allow yourself to be pressed into the mold of this world. And as soon as I read that, it took on a different picture and it took me to a very specific time in my life. So I'm gonna, I wanna share just this, this little section of my life with you guys and then tell you how it made me see the scripture differently. Does that sound good? Yes. Cool, you guys are very agreeable, I like that. <laughs> um, so, I've seen the Spirit my whole life. From the age of zero to 12, I more or less didn't know that what I had was a gift. When I was a little kid, you know, I would say when I would see certain things and, you know, hey, why is there a flying dog over our uh, town, you know? Why, is, why are those golden ladies dancing around during worship, you know, things like that. Um, and my parents were never very thrown off by these things because I would also, you know, get very excited about like mailboxes and airplanes and <laughs> things like that, and so I, I, my parents assumed that I was just being a kid, and I assumed that they were just as uninterested in the golden people and flying dogs as they were in the mailboxes and airplanes that I also found very fascinating. Um, and so there's this mutual ignorance for a good while. Um, and around the age of nine, I started realizing, I started getting old enough that I'm realizing that my, I'm getting weird looks from my friends when I mention this or when I talk about that, and I am, um, right before I could really put two and two together, and like I said, I grew up in the church, and uh, around nine years old is when we started going to churches that really believed in the prophetic and, and the gifts of the Spirit and things like that, but it wasn't something that was actively taught necessarily. It was just kind of something that was allowed to happen. And so I, I still didn't really have a grid for what was going on. And so uh, around nine years old, uh, as I'm starting to put two and two together just a little bit, realizing that my experience is different from the people around me, I started experiencing tremendous fear. Every single night I would see demonic things and, and experience a lot of fear. Now before then, I would see demonic stuff and it was really neither here nor there with me. It was, it was like it was something on TV. Like I didn't feel any sense of danger. I didn't feel any active fear. But for some reason, as soon as I turned nine years old, every single night I would experience this just absolute tremendous overwhelming fear and it happened every single night for about three years um, so that was from nine to twelve when I was twelve uh, we I was a missionary kid so we moved around a fair bit and when I was twelve we moved back to our original home in Southern California 
and started going to a church that was really active about training people in the prophetic, in healing, and all the different gifts of the Spirit. And we, my mom dragged me to this uh, prophetic class. I didn't really want to go, but she talked me into it. Um, which, listen to your mom, because that worked out for my entire life. Um, I went to this prophetic class, and in hearing them teach about the prophetic, it was the first time that I had heard anything that fit at all with the experience that I had. You know, what they were teaching wasn't necessarily the exact thing that I was experiencing, but it was the first thing that was even in the ballpark that gave me enough of a grid to, to finally share with my parents what was going on, because up until that point, I had just been saying that I was scared or that I was having nightmares, mostly because I didn't want them to lock me up. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was a very prudent child. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so I finally share with my parents what's going on, and I start learning about the prophetic. And, and as soon as I realized that what I was experiencing, because up until that point, my, my best guess was that, okay, I'm either, I had two options, neither of which was very exciting. Either I'm crazy, not very exciting, or the devil just flipped open the phone book, landed on my name, and said, I'm going to ruin this guy's life. <laughs> which is also not very exciting. <laughs> and when I went to this prophetic class, I ran into this uh, surprising third option that, oh, I just had a gift that I hadn't learned how to manage yet, that I hadn't learned how to point in the right direction yet. And as soon as I learned that and shared with my parents what was going on, the nighttime terror stuff stopped completely over the course of one week. And, and in that week, it lost all of its... Uh, all of its sting, all of, its, all of the fear that was associated with it was completely gone. And so I, I fast forwarded through that part because this next section is the one that I wanted to deal with. So I'm 12 years old. I just learned that I have superpowers or something like that. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, that means I'm supposed to use it, right? Right? Yes, right. It makes sense. Um, and so I, I had a lot of challenges at first, you know, learning what to say, what not to say, you know, I'd talk about, uh, and I was still so, uh, even though I had been seeing this stuff all my, all my life, I hadn't really been talking to the Holy Spirit about it, I hadn't really been talking to leaders about it, you know, it was just something that happened, and so even though I saw a lot of things, I didn't understand what it meant or what I was supposed to do with it, and so... If I would see something small, like an angel dancing in worship or something like that, and I would go and tell maybe the worship team or, or our pastor, and then they would have all these questions about, well, what does that mean, and what should we do, and how should we respond? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm 12. <laughs> um, and so that was a little bit tricky, but, but fine. And then there's other things like, well, I see all this demonic stuff too, and so I'm probably supposed to say something about that. And I'll very briefly tell of my first failure with this. I... Um, <laughs> I said, all right, well, I see this stuff. I should probably take a crack at, you know, doing this thing. And so looked around the room, saw someone standing at the back, walked back there, and he's, you know, 40, 45. Um, I'm, I'm probably 13 at this point. And I walk up to him and say, excuse me, um, there's a demon on your shoulder that's uh, scratching at the back of your neck. And I think that you should probably stop looking at pornography. <laughs> he was n not exhorted or comforted or edified uh, by, by that statement and got very upset with me. Um, so I'm like, okay, maybe this is not the way to do this. I, <laughs> I need to figure this out. And so I'm bumping around, you know, trying to figure this out. And one of the, one of the leaders at the church, who was uh, kind of the second in command over the prophetic team there, really took me under his wing. Started, you know, I started going to these prophetic classes every week. And on the, I joined the prophetic team even though I was uh, really young. And so I was practicing every week. I was bouncing things off him. He didn't have the same uh, gift that I had. He didn't see it in the spirit the way that I did. But he, um, he had been in the prophetic ministry for a very long time. And so he had a lot of help and wisdom and... My mom as well was really growing in the prophetic at this time, and so we would meet with him and kind of bounce things off him, and it was really, really awesome and helpful to have someone to talk to. Well, about a year into that um, re relationship, um, it, it came out that this, this guy that I had been connecting with and kind of you know, being mentored by a little bit um, was, was struggling with uh, alcoholism and had been uh, pursuing a, a predatory relationship with one of the 
people in our youth group. Um, and even though he had never uh, had anything like that towards me, you know, he had, he was uh, re- removed from the church, and I just, like, oh, I didn't, I hadn't known that any of this was going on, and I felt so devastated. I, I, I went through this time where I even just stopped talking about seeing the Spirit at all, because I was going through this process of, did I, um, you know, how much of what I've learned under his, under his tutelage was, was good, was bad, was, was right, was wrong? You know, am I, have I been, like, going down the wrong way with how, what any of this means? You know, I felt so lost and confused and, and hurt. And so I just really uh, stepped back and shut down with, with talking about that at all. So in the intervening years, you know, I would off and on share a little bit. And, and still, even when I would share things, I... A lot of times, you know, people had more questions than I knew how to respond to, or people would be confused by what I saw, or I would only understand a tiny little bit of what I saw and not be able to explain the fuller picture. And so all of these uh, were, were challenging and frustrating. And so during this time, I think there was probably about five or six different people who tried to uh, take me under their wing would be kind of the common metaphor. There's different, different leaders in our environment, different, different uh, just spiritual fathers in our environment that wanted to connect with me, wanted to mentor me. And I was still just feeling so hurt and betrayed from that experience that I'd had. So I distanced myself from every single one of them. Now, being the mature, healthy communicator that I was, I, when they would, um, why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell them that I didn't want to be mentored them. They would kind of come and talk to me about it, and then I would just never talk to them ever again. And then if I saw, like, you know, if I'm walking in the back of the church and they're walking this way, I would just go this other way, you know, and sit in the closet until they left, you know, something like that. Something healthy and normal that you're supposed to do <laughs> with communication. Um, I was being sarcastic, if that's not clear. That's not what you're supposed to do. Um, and so, and it got complicated after five or six. You know, you really got to plan your routes through a building to... <laughs> to avoid all those people. Um, so it, that kind of went on for about two or three years. <laughs> and so finally, um, I, there's this other, uh, other guy. He was one of, the, one of the leaders over the prayer ministry at our, at our church who um, starts connecting with me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into this story just, just very, very briefly. But it, um, his son had just uh, passed away from uh, leukemia, and his son was a friend of mine, and it was, you know, one of those stories where he was struggling with it for, for years, and he would get, you know, way better, and then worse, and better, and then worse, and the whole church was praying and believing and had their faith behind him, and it just didn't, we just didn't see it happen this time, and he ended up passing away, and I, um, it was kind of a cool story, actually. A couple of weeks before he passed away, we, we all went camping together, and our, our two families. And I, um, he ended up asking me to pray for him to receive the gift of seeing the Spirit. And he was the first person in my entire life that I laid my hands on him. I prayed for him, and instantaneously he received the gift of seeing in the Spirit and uh, started seeing with his eyes for, for the rest of his life. Um, and so... Uh, his, uh, you know, a, a good chunk of time after, after his son had passed away, his father started, you know, connecting with me uh, more. And I, I knew that I was supposed to have spiritual mothers and fathers in my life. I knew that that was something that was right. You know, I knew that that's, uh, you know, that, that that's one of the ways that God designed, you know, uh, church family to work together. But I didn't want to because I had experienced this hurt in my past. I had experienced what, what felt like a betrayal in the past. And so this person would, would, would try to meet with me and connect with me, and the, the, the uh, emotional metaphor, or physical version of an emotional experience that I was having was anytime we would talk, I'd be like, okay, let's talk, you know, <laughs> with my hands extended to keep a safe distance. Um, and, you know, I would still kind of connect with him and, and kind of move towards, but with both hands extended to keep distance, if that makes sense, you know. In my heart, I kept feeling wanting to keep this distance, wanting to keep this distance. And so that went on for about a year. And then we, we, uh, we went to this youth camp and uh, the youth group and uh, th- this gentleman and his, his kids and everything, uh, the rest of his kids came to this. And one of his friends came to the youth camp and we started, and started doing some ministry. And as this uh, 
I know this is a little bit complicated relations, but it's not that important um, to the core of the story. Um, this person started uh, praying, and it just felt weird. It felt funky. The, the, the style that he was praying, the th- kind of things that he was praying, just felt a little bit weird to me sp- spiritually. And when I looked, I saw some demonic things around. And so it wasn't this, this guy who had been mentoring me. It was a friend of his. And so I just felt confused and weird about it and talked to my youth pastor about it, talked to my mom about it, and they said, hey, let's just go talk to him. You know, let's go talk to the, that, that leader in our church who said, hey, here's, hey, here's what's going on. So I went and I shared what I had seen, and uh, the, the, as I shared it with him, I just watched him get quieter and quieter and quieter, and the, basically the entirety of this conversation was me explaining what I saw and him saying, Okay, if that's what you saw. I'm like, I don't think this went well. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but I don't think this went well. And I, afterwards, I kind of heard through the uh, grapevine that he had told a few other people that I had said he was conjuring demons uh, during, during our youth camp, which is not what I said. Um, and I felt super hurt and super betrayed and super uh, not, not trusted and... I'm like, oh, I forgot, people aren't safe. And again, created distance. And again, in the middle of this, I'm still trying to learn how to share this, this gift. I'm trying to, and I'm, I'm having a hard time. It's frustrating. It feels like what I'm, what I'm, the, the biggest frustration, I guess, if it really comes down to it, is every time that I see in the spirit, I can feel something deeper. It's not just Ooh, it's exciting when I see uh, 10-foot angels come in and, and dance during worship. It's not just, oh, it's exciting when I, when I see people pray and something happens every single time. It's that I feel something deeper on the other side of it. And I don't feel that deeper thing get released when I speak about the things that I see. And that makes me not want to talk about it at all. And again, I didn't have that good a language of, for that at the time, but that's what I was experiencing. And I, again, really didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to about it. Now, just, just to be clear, uh, for my parents' sake, especially if they're watching on the stream, um, <laughs> my parents were fantastic during this entire time. They, they struck a fantastic balance between letting me be a kid and letting me be a teenager and also making sure that I didn't let this uh, gift atrophy or didn't let, let my relationship with God atrophy. They were wonderful in, in that balance, and I always have been and still am very close with my parents. Um, but this, this next stage, this next tier of relationship, these spiritual mothers and fathers just felt unsafe to me. And so, not too long after that, the Lord comes and tells me to go to the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in Redding, California, which is, um, now I'm part of Bethel Atlanta, and uh, so you can kind of see how this story goes, but <laughs> as soon as he did, I said, no, I am not going to that school because I know I'm going to have to talk about this seeing in the spirit stuff, and I don't want to, because it only makes messes and hurts people. And so I said no for a whole year, and I won the argument. <laughs> Which, it, sh- it should always be foreboding when you win an argument against God, so you know. That's, that's when you got to be worried. <laughs> um, and so that, that whole year went by, a bunch of my friends went up to the school, and uh, just to breeze past the story, he, he, he had been asking me for a year to go, and I said, no, 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 no. And then just as that previ- the, the school year that I would have gone to was ending, the Holy Spirit came again and said, you really need to go to that school. And a friend of mine called me on the phone five seconds after the Holy Spirit said that, and her first, the first words out of her mouth are, you really need to come to this school. And I could just feel all of the beautiful defenses that I built up against this idea just completely melt. And, and so I, I decided to go. And so uh, time goes on, September comes, I go up to, sco- to the School of Ministry there, and I'm sitting in these classes, hearing from these great leaders, and they're, they're giving this wonderful wisdom, and uh, I feel like I'm growing so much but I feel this disconnection between myself and these leaders, and I can't quite put my finger on why. And I'm, I'm going through this, and for about three months, I'm just feeling a little bit of a di- disconnect. I'm feeling this critical thing kind of come up in my mind where I'm always looking for holes in what they're teaching or looking for, looking for theological breaks or just different things like that. 
Now, I, I'm looking for failure, I guess, this would be a way that I, that I would look at him. And all of a sudden, after three months, I hear the Holy Spirit say, you're not letting any of these people father you. And I knew that I was mistaken because my immediate emotional reaction was, why would I let them do that? That's not safe. And as soon as I felt that thought process come to the surface, I knew that I was missing something. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we think of that as the world is bad, don't be like the world, that's maybe part of the revelation. But especially when you hear the, what, what the original metaphor was intended to be, don't allow yourself to be pressed into the mold of this world. To me, it immediately evokes this image of don't let what happens to you in this life form how you think and how you act. Let Jesus transform the way that you think and act. Let him determine how you think and act. I experienced pain at 12, 13 years old because I felt betrayed because someone who I thought was safe ended up not being safe. Unfortunately, that was a mold that conformed my mind, that, that, that I conformed to. Oh, I've experienced this. That means I'm going to metaphorically have spikes out to anyone who wants to have that kind of relationship with me, and they're going to need to figure out how to get by those spikes if they, if they want to be close to me, because all of a sudden, it's my job to protect me instead of God's job to protect me. In fact, as I'm realizing this, as I'm going through this process, when the Holy Spirit's asking me to allow these people at this school of ministry to father me, I go back to that, to that other gentleman who had mentored me, who I felt betrayed by again, who had um, been hurt when I said that I had seen demonic stuff come up when, when he and his friend were praying. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, you haven't owned your side of that problem. And I immediately went into defense mode, which is... <laughs> which also is when you know that you're in the wrong when you're talking to the Holy Spirit and you feel defensive. Um, I, I'm like, I was, I was, you know, 15 years old. How could I have known or what did I do? Or, yeah, maybe I didn't say it perfectly, but that's not the point. And all of a sudden I looked back and thought about that distance that I kept in my heart the whole time that this person was trying to mentor me. In fact, what I had done was ensured distance in our relationship so that when a moment came where we needed to pull on that connection, I had ensured that it was weak and would break the second that any kind of pressure was put on it. Does that make sense? Now again, I, the other person certainly had responsibility in this, in this circumstance. I'm not, you know, it, it's, you know, I wasn't, you know, taking on false blame but it was also important to recognize that I contributed to the situation by not creating connection, by, by distancing myself and creating division so that when any kind of earthquake, any kind of little moment came up, it just immediately snapped. I, um, there's this uh, friend of mine who's a neurologist, and he, um, he talks about how uh, like maybe you can think, maybe this is a situation that you've been in, or maybe you've seen a friend go through where something traumatic happens. You know, there's sometimes some people they have something traumatic happen, and they kind of do okay. They find their friend group, uh, you, may, you know, whatever it is. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they're, you know, they have something tragic happen, or they're just going through a difficult financial time. Sometimes you see people and they, oh, they pull on their friend group, they pull on their family, or they they pull on the Lord, and they they make it through, even if it's challenging, even if it's rough, they they make it through, and then. You could probably think of maybe even times of in your own life or times in friends that you've seen where something comes up and they just snap. They, they come apart where, where, where they go into this, this painful dark place emotionally or they shut down or they sometimes have a nervous breakdown or a mental breakdown or things like that. And this friend of mine who's a neurologist said, and he used this metaphor that I liked, he's like in certain countries... You know, if, if there's, an, there's earthquakes in Los Angeles all the time, but 
very few of them cause buildings to fall down in this mass destruction because the entire city of Los Angeles has been built to accommodate earthquakes. Sometimes in these uh, third world countries when you, there's an earthquake and it flattens the entire city, he said they, a lot of those cultures don't put reinforcement or rebar in, their, in, their, um, in between their bricks. So th- those structures are perfectly sound when they're just sitting there, but the second a trauma happens, they completely collapse. <laughs> If we, if we just, and I, if we just go by, oh, everything's fine or everything's together, and we don't let the Holy Spirit teach us how to build healthy structures in our life, healthy relational structures, healthy places to pull on, healthy uh, connections with other people with Him, that if there is a trauma, if there is a shaking, that that stuff will rattle apart, <laughs> and. And I don't, want that, I don't want that to cause fear. I don't want that to cause like, oh, I'm about to, where's my rebar? What the, how am I going to do this? You know, <laughs> how do I check? What is, how does this metaphor apply to my life right now? <laughs> it's, it's just letting yourself be led by him. It's not conforming to the pattern of this world. It's, it's not just letting what you've experienced teach you. It's letting Jesus teach you how to receive what happens in your life. And just to touch on this too, like this is built on this, and this is my neurologist friend again, like, you know, we have this healthy uh, system in our body, and, you know, the classic example used is the frying pan. You know, you see the frying pan, you put your hand on the frying pan when it's hot, you experience pain, ouch, okay, that hurt, don't do that again. Well, when you're dealing with frying pans, that's a good thing to know, you know. Now, what can happen is... When we don't understand, when we don't, now a, pri- a frying pan is a very simple situation, obviously. It's like, okay, I can understand that, how that works. But as soon as you get something a little bit more complicated than a frying pan, like a, like someone may, being, feeling like you've been betrayed by someone, or feeling, or going through a messy divorce, or more complex situation, it can be, it's orders of magnitude more difficult for us to understand why we experience that pain. And if we are too quick to make judgments as to why I experienced that pain, then we are building those pa- the same pathways that tell us that make us hesitate without even thinking about it before touching a frying pan. We're building those same pathways in the way that we think about people, in the way that we think about life, in the way that we even listen to the Lord sometimes. And so that, that sounds big and scary, and that sounds like, oh, how do I deal with this? Thankfully, the verse right before really helps explain how we go after this. And this, this is, I think this is one of those things that's so simple that we sometimes forget to do it. We think that it's, it's almost too simple to do this. The very, fir- the very uh, first verse in this chapter that leads directly into the next one, I think lays it out beautifully. So Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then again, it goes into, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think part of being a living sacrifice to God is we have choices in what we're going to throw onto the altar. <laughs> we can come to church. That means we're throwing some of our time on the altar. We can give in a, in a tithe or an offering. Okay, that's throwing some of my money on the altar. I can ask the Holy Spirit what I'm supposed to do with my life or what direction I'm supposed to go. Well, that's me throwing some of my decisions, some of my future on the altar. Or we can decide, I want to throw everything on the altar. I want to throw the entirety of myself, including my opinion, my experience, my beliefs, my thought patterns, who I choose to hang out with, who I choose not to hang out with. And this is one of those things that's so important because if there's one thing that I find that does that thing that I dislike so much, that, that disconnects us, that causes us to miss what God has for us, 
is us underestimating just how good he is. It's us underestimating just how good he is. Because if some part of you felt scared when I said, throw everything on the altar, first of all, don't be ashamed. I used to be scared when those kind of scriptures would come up all the time. But as time went on, I realized that's just because I don't trust God to give the best of me back. <laughs> that's just because I don't, I, I'm not trusting that anything that God wouldn't burn up would be the best of me, would be the truest me, would be the realest me, would be the, the most perfect, most beautiful, most wonderful, most exciting me. That, that if I laid it all on the altar, he would give the absolute best of me back because that's what he wanted from the beginning. That was he was after from the beginning. That the only thing that would burn up would be anything that wasn't of him, that, that, that wasn't his, that wasn't his design and his purpose. And when we give him everything, when we give him our opinion about even our experiences in our life, then that is how we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We can choose to let the blood of Jesus Christ inform our perspective about life and our experiences instead of internal mechanisms that were designed for good but can be sabotaged when we experience pain. And that, that, that wasn't the only thing that led to me getting breakthrough with sharing what the gift that I had with the world but it was one of the big steps because you know I think sometimes and, and maybe you guys don't, don't have the same view but sometimes we can look at people who whether it's our own uh, pastor or teacher and think like oh I wish I could serve God as much as they do or people who travel around and minister like, like myself oh I wish I could serve God as, as the way that they do or I wish I was gifted the way that they are and now, on, on one side, there's nothing wrong with being hungry for a gift that someone else has because they all come from God. <laughs> and so if you're hungry for a gift that someone has, you're just hungry for that part of God. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And you need to know that you, again, you can receive <laughs> from the greatest giver of all. Um, however, the, the truth is, is that the only limiter on our ability to serve God, to, to be a champion of his kingdom, to be a true ambassador of his kingdom, is simply on our level of connection with him. That's the only limiter, how connected we are to him, how much we trust him, how much we are led by him, how much we've put into that connection, how much we've allowed him to transform who we are because you can't I, I love I love the implication here it's the implication is almost the opposite of what seems natural it's not the the it's not the law it's not the old version of you need to work to get access to God it's literally <laughs> don't conform to the pattern of this world don't try to learn based on what you're experiencing around you be transformed you, that you are allowing yourself to be transformed by him by presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, by giving it all to him and seeing what beautiful things he gives back. One small nugget just for the end. At the end of my uh, first year at the School of Ministry, I went on a missions trip, and while I was there, a friend of mine gave me one of the shortest, simplest, but most transformative prophetic words of my life. We're driving down to our mission trip. She calls me um, over a walkie-talkie because we were uh, all caravanning down. And she said, I heard the Holy Spirit say, it's time to come out of the cave. And instantly, I felt the grace to step into a season where I was sharing the gift of seeing the Spirit released on my life. And I shared with everyone down there while I was on the mission trip about the things that I saw, and it went really well. I went to a friend's home group when I got back and shared my entire life story about seeing in the Spirit for the first time in my entire life. And I answered questions for three and a half hours, which would have terrified old Blake. But I had stepped into a new season because I had been transformed by the renewing of my mind. I don't want this to be scary, but I do want, it, it, uh, this leads directly into what I've 
started this talk with, which is that I don't want any of us to miss out on what God has for us. I've seen angels my entire life. That gift was useless to me until I allowed myself to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. That gift didn't mean anything when it wasn't inside of a transformed mind. My ability to, to minister and to release what God has given me is, has nothing to do with how gifted I am or am not. It has to do with whether I've presented myself as a living sacrifice and allowed myself to be transformed, allowed my mind to be transformed, because that is what makes room for growth. That is what makes room for release. And I'm, I'm passionate about this because... When we, even in the positive sense, when we are conformed to the world, when I see an awesome minister, if I see Billy Graham, someone who has led hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord, I see that gift, I admire that gift. Those are both good things to do. But I think that that is what it is to be a minister or to release heaven on earth. Then I, I am, if that is, if I am conforming to that image that I see in front of me, and there's a chance that even if 99% of my gifting is just like Billy Graham, I'm missing 1% of heaven that has been laid in my heart that was not laid in Billy Graham's heart. So that means that the world is missing out on a corner of heaven because I'm letting Billy Graham teach me how to release the kingdom instead of letting Jesus teach me how to release the kingdom. Does that make sense? And there's nothing wrong with being inspired by other leaders. We're supposed to actually receive from the gifts of others because I, I don't get to touch that 1% that Billy Graham has unless I receive it from him and, I, and, and receive what he carries in the same way that I don't get to receive what this church carries unless I come, connect with you guys, honor you for who you are and receive that in the same way that you guys don't get to receive who I am unless you receive it from me. step into a little bit of a prophetic thing here for just a second. I, I feel like the Lord is releasing us into a season where the church is going to step into an unprecedented level of authority in the earth. And I, I feel my knees shake, not out of fear, but out of anticipation of the voice that the church is about to inherit because of an impartation from the kingdom. And I strongly believe that one of the keys to being able to sustain that voice, to have that voice be one that represents God's kingdom, is for all of us to step into the reality of becoming the manifest sons and daughters of God, which means that we need to be led by Jesus into who we're supposed to be. Not, even not, even not, we need to not even be led by something that is as good as, as a gifted minister or a good teaching or a good theology. These things are essential. They are important. But we need to be led by Jesus as to who we are supposed to be. And I'm, I'm interested because what it means to have a voice and a platform is changing faster now than it ever has at any point in human history. The, the, the way that a voice happens in the world is changing rapidly. And I can almost hear and feel the, the platform that the Lord has planned for the church being constructed in human society right now. And the only way that we're going to be ready when our stage opens up is if we are ready to be the manifested sons and daughters of God. If we are gazing into his eyes and being transformed into his likeness so that as, as we are seeing him becoming more like him, And so I want to I want to step into that a little bit right now. Um, I um I feel like the Lord when I when I saw the um that picture of this 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 glass up here and it being slowly broken and kind of coming down in chunks, and then I want especially when I saw the Lord come in and start breaking into these smaller pieces, I felt like the Lord wanted to, was ready to deal with some of the ways that we've conformed to the pattern of this world tonight. And I feel like there, there's specific individual things that you guys have built up. And I, I, honestly, this is every single one of us. Every single one of us has this. Every single one of us 
has at some point touched the frying pan, experienced pain, and built a belief system around that experience. We've done that in relationships. We've done that in church relationships, in uh, marital relationships, whatever else. We, we have had that experience of experiencing pain and pain teaching us how to respond. But I feel like what God wants to do tonight is he wants to break those barriers down, fashion them into what he designed them to be, and place them as a crown on your head. Um, I didn't prepare for this ahead of time, but if, if I could get someone to play some piano for a minute, that'd be fantastic. Thank you. Because um, if I tried, the Holy Spirit would leave. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not the corner of the kingdom that I, that I have, a, have a hold on right now. <laughs> So I'm going to ask all of you guys to stand up, and we're going we're gonna to do this generally first. Um, and I really want the Holy Spirit to lead this process because this, because again, this isn't about an inner healing method, even though those things can be so helpful. This isn't about a, um, getting the right prophetic word. Those are so helpful. Those are part of God's design, but that's not what it's about tonight. Tonight, it's about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is about presenting your experience as a living sacrifice. This is about a experience, about setting the, the world that you've built up on the inside as a living sacrifice to him. And so I'm going to pray a few things, and when I feel like it's time to transition out of that, um, I feel like what we're going to do is, after I pray a few things, I'm going to have the, uh, the Bassam students uh, come up and, um, in, in just a minute and just pr- pray and go a little bit deeper with anyone it feels like they, that God's pulling out some deep roots tonight. I, um, again, be led by the Holy Spirit, but I, I, I can just feel a special, there's a special opportunity for breakthrough tonight. I, I feel like the Lord has been sowing into it since the very beginning of the night, from moment one of the night. Even, again, what we, what we were doing in worship felt like it was in preparation for this breakthrough. Even, even the, the, the talk about receiving uh, during the offering felt like it was leading to what he's wanting to release tonight. And so, uh, again, you know, if, if you need to go at some point or if you, um, if you, just, if you just feel like you, you've got what you came for, then that's, that's wonderful. I'm, you know, completely trusting you with that. But I would ask that if something in your heart knows that there's still a little bit more that he has to remove and replace. Just stay. So Lord, we just invite your presence right now. We invite your touch into this room. I feel like the, I asked the Holy Spirit what the first thing he wanted to do was and I heard him say, I want to reestablish trust. immediately saw a picture of a, of a horse and uh, when you're, when you're um, training a horse to be ridden you have to build trust between yourself and the horse especially when it's the first time it's never been ridden before and you, one of the ways that you build trust is just through establishing healthy contact that I can, I can you know, touch the horse on the side touch it on, on, its, uh, on, on its back or something that and that be a safe experience. I feel like right now what the Holy Spirit's doing is he just wants to come and he wants to touch you with his presence and he wants to create safety, create, I am coming and I am and I am touching your heart and reestablishing trust. You may see a picture of this in your mind's eye, you may see a picture of the Lord coming to you you may just have a feeling in your heart. You may just feel a warmth. You may just feel a, a connection. You may feel the opposite come up. You may feel a sense of fear, a, a, an urge to step back or to, or to you know, pull back. And I would encourage you, if you feel that feeling to pull back first, don't let, don't let that be something that tries to attach shame. 
tries to use logic to create a barrier of shame between us and God. Because logically we know God is God. Logically we know he's perfect. Logically we know we should feel safe in his presence. We shouldn't feel scared by him. We shouldn't feel that we should trust him. God is willing to work through it if that's not your experience right now. If you have not experienced safety. If you had something in your history that felt like it damaged the trust between you and God. He's willing to put put the work in to connect and work through that. He doesn't just need you to blindly trust him. He's willing to engage in a trust relationship. urge to pull back. Don't let it cause you to have shame, thinking I shouldn't feel that way, I shouldn't, I shouldn't flinch that way. But also don't let it cause you to disengage. The beautiful thing is that it's not about what we do, it's about what he does. So all we have to do is stay. Logicking our way out of us being mutual responsible or you know me having 50% of the problem and them having 50% of the problem can be helpful but is not the solution. The solution is what God believes about me and believes about them. those experiences apart as we see maybe that we had a, had, a, had a hand, had a responsibility in that situation, as we see how he, how he didn't agree with that pain, how he didn't decide to give you that pain, I just feel already this, this, this experiential love is being released. Sometimes when we have a barrier between us and God, it doesn't necessarily affect the, the function 
of our relationship, but it can affect the experience of our relationship. Maybe I can still talk to him just as well as I always could. Maybe I could feel like I'm directed by him just as much as I always could. But if the passion of our relationship isn't present, then there is something missing, then there is a disconnect. And again, not in a way that we should be ashamed of, not in a way that we should beat ourselves up about, but just in a way that we should hold that standard in our heart recognize when something about our experience or our beliefs begins to lower that standard of passion and loving connection. But again, as as he breaks these things apart, I see him just releasing this love. Even him releasing this love is a bit of a misnomer because it was always there. (laughs) He didn't start releasing it now that this thing is fixed. It's not like that. God doesn't sit there holding back his love, waiting for us to fix our problems. But sometimes our problems do put a block between us experiencing his love. His love is 100% present 100% of the time. But we may not feel it or experience it if there's something in the way. Some, even some of you feel like if you've kind of been meandering in your life, like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to be about? What, what is my direction? What's my focus supposed to be? And I feel like for some of you, this process is the answer. It's presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. It's giving your opinion, giving your beliefs, even giving your experiences to him and seeing what he decides to give back allowing yourself to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in this process, as you work through some of these things, as you hand some of these experiences to him, there's going to be such sudden clarity. students go ahead and come on up and, and line up up here. Um, and if you if you just listen to the Holy Spirit, if you feel like you want someone to partner with you in just a speaking into this, every single one of these awesome people hear the Lord, and they will they will be so happy to, to say what they're hearing and pray over you and pray with you. expectations for even someone who does prayer ministry or or gives prophetic words that, oh, I expect to be judged or I expect this or I expect that. I feel like if the Holy Spirit leads you, even in a moment when we transition, you can 
come up and receive fire, and he'd like to re renew that experience. So, Lord, we just thank you so much that you have made the way for us, that you have, that you have crossed the gap between yourself and mankind, that, that you, a God that is so holy, that is so awesome, that is so powerful, that is so beyond anything that we could ever be, has crossed the distance between us through your Son, has, has created a direct line of connection so that we could directly receive the benefit of relationship with you. And right now, as we just transition into the, this last part of the night, I, um, I just release the grace to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Not do it because we're supposed to, to not do it because it's the right thing to do, but to do it because of such great trust in the goodness that we see in you. That we know for certain that the only thing that you would ever burn up is something that didn't belong to us anyway, that wasn't designed to be part of us anyway, and that everything that is a part of us, everything that you designed to be a part of us it would only be strengthened by presenting itself to you in this way. I just release that grace tonight as we just receive these breakthroughs as you teach us how to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. In Jesus' name.